what's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in and checking out the Hustle the Most podcast. This is episode 18. I'm your host, Wes, and today we're going to be talking about how perception is always more pleasant. So let me start out with a few kind of general questions. So how do you stack up against your friends? How do you compare? What does your career look like compared to, say, your colleagues or your friends? How does your life look when it's placed next to someone else's life? And here's the most important question. Does any of that really matter? So here's kind of what I'm getting at. There's always this perception that someone has more than you, or they're happier than you, or they are better than you for whatever reason. People place a lot of emphasis on how they stack up against blips that they see on the internet, in particular like Instagram, right? So, but the truth is that you never know what happens behind closed doors. When the camera's off, the game is a much different game, but the fantasy lives forever in your head and on the internet. So the big question is, are you happy and what makes you happy? It seems like an easy question to ask, easy question to answer. Ask yourself, are you happy? If you are, what makes you happy? For me, one of the biggest things that made me happy for the longest amount of time was drums and playing drums and talking about drums, anything had to do with drums. Other people that I met that liked drums, it was all about just drums. If someone wanted to sit and talk to me about drums for 16 hours, awesome. We're, we're going to talk for 16 hours and we're just not going to stop until we stop breathing. So it's <laughs> just how it goes. So in episode 16, we actually talked about, um, it was called Banding in Europe. And we talked about what it was like to tour for me, like for the first time, like in a hardcore band. And at the end of the episode, I talked about how my band Earthmover broke up and we played our last show. This was a pretty difficult time, like in my life, but you know, with every great tragedy comes a, you know, a new opportunity and great triumph. And I think that at the time, you know, all the dudes in the band were just on different pages, right? We were going down different paths. We wanted to do different things. This happens a lot, you know, when you're in your twenties. And I think there are so many kind of variables swirling around your head that, you know, it just makes your mind wander. And I mean, the grass is always greener, right? That's what they say. So if it's not going well, or you're going down different paths or whatever it is, there's always some sort of like light at the other end of the tunnel, right? So, you know, when we were touring a lot, I think this is probably true for any band that when you're touring a lot, you'll see other bands that are just crushing it, right? They're out there, they're doing well, they're playing the big shows, whatever it is. And you wonder like, why is this happening for them? But it's not happening for us. But the reality is, it's all about perception. So Everyone seems to judge themselves against something else to see how they size up and um, how they stack into competition, whatever. But the difference is the variables never really make it apples to apples. So this is why this is why things like Instagram are so dangerous because it always looks so much more amazing than it is. I was having this conversation with my coworkers today about taking photos in front of Bentleys and going and jumping in your Civic, right? So there are so many people and companies that are doing like a fake it till you make it strategy. And they're giving all of us this glimpse of what's happening in their life. It's almost like watching, this is a great comparison. It's actually almost like watching a movie where you never see the main character stop to eat or go to the bathroom or fill up their car for gas, right? Unless it's somehow like relevant in the story where the guy's got to go in the gas station. There's like some sort of scene. But most of the things that you're seeing on something like Instagram or like on stories are kind of rooted in reality, but it's kind of like a 1985 type alternative reality. So 
It's like you're getting a story, but you're just getting part of the story. And the rest of the story, we just make up in our head. And we always make up the most fabulous parts of the story, right? We never make up the, oh, this person's going to the bathroom or this person's eating a bologna sandwich, whatever it is, right? So, and this is really, really difficult to not fill in the gaps. So when you see something on Instagram and it's happening, you're like, oh, this person has such a glamorous life. And then like, you know, they push the button and the story comes on. It's all about the story. And when the story's over, like you don't know what happens, but then you'll see them later in another story and you just kind of fill in the gaps. Like they went from party to party or they went from like celebrity's house to celebrity's house or whatever it is. And we're just making up the story for ourselves and, and kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're cooler than you, they're better than you, whatever it is. It just seems, it seems kind of silly, right? And it's all about perception and it's all about us kind of filling in the gaps and assuming and making up what we think the rest of the story is based on what we've seen. So anyway, let me jump back into the story about um, the banding in Europe thing and how it all kind of like, let me thread the needle real quick. So um, when Earthmover came home from Europe, a few of us decided to start a new band. So we'd all done Earthmover for a bunch of years and it was, it was still pretty fun. Like we all had, we all had good times together, like hanging out and still got along for the most part and stuff. So, but you know, we were just different dudes and wanted to do different things. And I remember coming home and talking about how we were just going to start a new band or whatever. But the option, it's so interesting because the option at the time, that wasn't an option to like, oh yeah, I'm going to go get a job or start a family or this career. Like all we wanted to do was be in a touring band. So when Earthmover broke up, three new bands actually came out of it, which was kind of cool because like, you know, it's, it's flooding the scene with like a whole, you know, fleet of new bands, like three brand new bands all starting at the same time and doing things with like established members. And so Andy actually started this really cool band called Blood Pact. And Lenny started the band called Cast and Fire. And Mike and Aaron and I started this band called Walls of Jericho. A few weeks after we got home from Europe, we started talking about this new project and we wrote a few songs. Then we started auditioning members of the band kind of cool because Earthmover had a really good name in Detroit so the new Earthmover band had people really excited Uh, we had a handful of people that were just interested in trying out most of them had no idea what we were really doing they just knew that there was a new Earthmover thing and they wanted to be a part of whatever it was so which is kind of a cool feeling right they're basically like throwing their hat in a ring and just hoping for the best right so one thing that Earthmover did really well well before I was in the band, was um, they really made things very communal. So when an Earthmover show was happening in Detroit, it was always like an event. Everyone was just there. And it was kind of like a party where everyone just showed up, and it was usually pretty awesome. Of course, like we had an occasional fight or two or dude getting pepper sprayed and thrown down some stairs. And, but overall, it was pretty cool. It was pretty fun. So Earthmover had a lot of friends, and... Some of them were in bands, some of them were just dudes that we hung out with, but this led to a bunch of calls from people wanting to try out for the new band. So we were trying out guitar players and singers, and I won't go into the whole, like, who tried out for what and and who did what, but we had, like, basically five of us in the end. So, you know, this was our first time auditioning someone for a spot in the band. This is my first time. It's kind of an awkward thing to just play and have someone play, and you're just kind of watching them so since everyone that tried out for a spot in the band was actually like friends of ours for the most part 
Uh, it was nice because we generally didn't have to judge them on like their personality because we already liked them. We knew we tried them out because we liked them and we were friends with them. So made it a little easier, right? So take some of that like subjectivity out of it, put the objectivity into it, right? So so eventually we landed on a couple new people and we ended up with you know the three guys from Earth Mover and then we ended up with guy Kevin on guitar who was in this awesome band called Tank from Detroit. And then we ended up with this girl named Candace, who was our singer. And Candace was a girl, and we didn't really plan on having a girl singer. It wasn't like a thing. She used to play in this band from Detroit area called Apathomy. And they were a super cool band. She just came in and tried out, and she just crushed everyone that tried out for vocals. So it just kind of made, it made sense, right? You went with the best. And it actually started this really cool thing, um, this really cool trend that we noticed as a female-fronted hardcore band that a lot of other female-fronted hardcore bands kind of started popping up. And then all-girl hardcore bands, not that they didn't exist before, but now it was like there was more of them, and they were just kind of coming out all the time, which was really, really cool. So anyway, we officially had a band, and we quickly wrote a demo. We wrote like a four or five song demo. We jumped in the studio and recorded it. It came out pretty good. Like it was raw and gritty and angry. And it was everything that it should have been at the time. Like it was just, it was just it. Very just meaty and just awesome. So our first run of cassettes was like 250 cassettes with maybe blue, yellow, and red tape covers. Of course, we did them all at Kinko's at like 3 a.m. And it was, this is when all the genius happened. So the goal was to get the tapes ready for the show because the last Earth Mover show was coming up. And it was actually a pretty good strategy because we knew there'd be hundreds and hundreds of kids there to see Earth Mover, so it would be a perfect time to kind of drop the new stuff. We're hoping just to sell a couple, get a couple out to people and, and let them check out the new band. So I talked a little about the last show a few episodes ago and how it was absolutely crazy. And I think there were eight bands playing, but only seven bands played. And um, one of the bands didn't actually get to show up. And this is where the stars kind of aligned. And we actually had our demos in the back and we're selling a couple here and there. And this is pretty cool. And Um, once we heard that one of the bands wasn't going to make it to the show, we kind of had this small band meeting and we actually decided to have our new band just jump up and play four songs on one of the other band's gear. And everyone just happened to be there and it was perfect timing. And we didn't really plan on having the new band play, but it just kind of worked out. So we got up and played like from the opening note, the place just went absolutely nuts. It was hot and sweaty, and there were bodies flying everywhere. We played like four songs, and after that, we sold every single demo that we made. 250 demos, gone. Box empty. It was like the best feeling. Like It just kind of like all kind of happened at once, which was really cool. You know, we thought we had something good, so we put out into the world and performed like it was our last show that we were ever going to play. And people were stoked on it. People gravitated toward it. And, you know, we played one show and we got three or four offers that night to come play some other shows and some festivals. And then it was a East Coast show offer and then it turned into us recording a seven inch and then more tour offers started coming in. Then we got signed to a record label and then we recorded the full length and more tour offers came in. This thing just kind of snowballed. This is where you wish you had like a magic eight ball just to see what was coming next. And I know I've said this before, and I'll say it again, but you can only make a decision 
based on the knowledge that you have obtained right up until that point that you make the decision. So right until the time that it's coming, yes or no, yay, nay, forward, backward, whatever it is, all you're doing is basing it on what you've learned up until that point and the decisions that you've made and what took you down that path. So there are always, of course, some things that you can assume, like getting hit in the face with the hammer, you know, it's probably going to hurt, right? So with the matrix stuff like red pill, blue pill, well, you just don't always know what's coming next. So our goal was to keep the machine moving and these decisions came quick and they came often and we just kind of had to roll with it. So our goal was to play as much as we could all the time. Like the more we're out on the road, the more we didn't have to be at home working our crappy jobs and just doing whatever we had to do to, to scrape by so we could continue to, to go on tour and play shows and be in a band. Like touring obviously is a huge, huge toll on your personal life. Like it's hard on relationships and friendships and family events. You miss weddings, funerals, births of babies, pretty much anything that's really important to you uh, because you're out grinding it on the road. So, you know, this, the booking agents kept calling. So we just kind of kept going out over and over again. So, you know, I think the more variables you have in your life, the more difficult it is to keep that dream alive, right? Especially if you have any sort of like inkling on trying to balance all of it. So, of course, these variables being relationships, friends, family, kids, jobs, and so on, stuff like that. So it's, it's, you know, once you start questioning it and questioning yourself and asking, like, is it all worth it? You're usually halfway out the door, unfortunately. So, you know, most of the bands that are out touring that are low to mid-level bands playing small venues aren't doing it for the money. You know, so when the bad outweighs the good, the choices get much much easier. So your positive mental attitude is a hard thing to keep alive when it's no longer fun, right? And your belly is more empty than not. It's definitely one of those variables that kind of keep you keep you going. So for me personally, like I had a lot of variables that I was trying to balance and I was trying to do everything at once. I mean, this is the whole like hustle the most, right? So even back then I was trying to hustle the most, but I couldn't really figure out how to do it all at once. And you know, I lived in this cool house in Detroit. I had amazing roommates. I had a girlfriend that was fantastic. I had a job at FedEx I could go to whenever I wanted. Like I was home, still trying to go to school on top of playing in a full-time band. Like it really did not make any sense for me. We talked before on a couple episodes back about failing at college. Like this was it. You know, why was I doing all of the things I was trying to do at once? It's like trying to make everybody happy, but in the end, like you're the one that loses, right? So it really didn't make much sense for me to burn every candle that I had at every impossible. So I had to start making choices. You know, I realized that I needed to do something different. I needed to change. Uh, my drive in my motivation for playing had been replaced with the feeling that playing on stage wasn't as fun as it used to be. The long van rides and the arguments on the phone and, you know, there's taxing and, and awful and, and they really take a toll on you. So I needed a change. I needed to do something different. So I had this plan to move out to Seattle, finish school. Then I quickly realized that I wasn't really ready to do that. So even though I moved out there with the idea that I want to finish school, you know, I still had this itch to play music and, and tour and, and stuff like that. And I don't know if it's about touring with different people or, you know, is the grass greener, right? In the end of the day, you're still rolling with a bunch of dudes in a van across the country. Like it's still the same stuff. 
I think I had this perception that if I eliminated all the distractions in my life, stopped touring, moved away, just tried to figure it out, right? I would have this ability to to focus and finish school, maybe start a career. Um, I was just tired and, and kind of worn down from doing what I had been doing for so many years. And the distractions and the people weren't really the problem. Like I was the problem. And I figured that out. And I hadn't found the things that really made me happy. So it took me a lot longer than others, probably, to find things that truly made me happy. And that's really what this one's all about. So the question is, like, you know, I asked earlier, like, what makes you happy? And how long did it take you to find those things? Maybe you haven't found them yet. Maybe you're still looking, right? So let's jump into my favorite part of the podcast, which is where we talk about what I learned from this. So it's just, it's always crazy to me to re kind of hash these stories and start thinking about um, the way my brain works now compared to the way my brain worked when I was 20 is so much different. I mean, I think it's different. So it's, it's interesting to look at these stories and kind of study them and kind of figure out what I learned from them and how I do things differently now compared to how I did them then. And would I make the same choices? This is interesting. This makes me think that before we jump into the what I learned part, I just want to think about this for a second. I remember reading an article before about, um, it was by Metallica, and someone was interviewing James Hetfield, and they were talking about um, him. I think this is when they were doing like the hardwired self-destruct record or death magnet, whatever, <laughs> whatever it was called. Um, and there was an interview and they were talking to him about, about how he was writing songs. And he thought that these songs to him sounded like more of that like angry style that they were doing around the Master Puppets era. And it's, it's interesting because everyone always wants like a Metallica record that sounded like Justice, right? Or a Metallica record that sounded like Master of Puppets. And it's funny because my brain, like if I think about myself and my drumming and the records that I recorded, uh, you know, in Walls Jericho and Earthmore or whatever, like I don't play that way anymore. Like I don't even think that way. Uh, I can still play it. Like I can still play the songs, but like to write that way. Um, can you imagine like James Hetfield in that band going through all the stuff they went through and trying to conjure up this 17 year old angry kid broke living in the Bay area, you know, just gusto to, to go onto a record. Like these dudes are millionaires and they live in big houses and they drive like exotic cars and have painting collections and, and art collections and sculptures and just all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, can you imagine trying to channel that 17-year-old kid that was living in a crappy basement with like, you know, mildew and rats and whatever, like it's just not even a comparison. So when someone talks about the way they did things 20 years ago and the way they do them today, like there's always going to be a difference, right? So it's always interesting to me when they put out that Metallica record, whatever the next one is, and it doesn't sound like that, the fans are always disappointed, right? Because they want a Master of Puppets record again. But Really, what they should do is probably just go listen to Master Puppets again, right? So it's always there. It's downloaded. You can go listen to it. It's, uh, you can find it on iTunes, I'm sure. Um, anyway, so let's jump into what I learned um, from this story and uh, just kind of get through this podcast. So I learned that if you try to go down 10 paths at once, you're not setting yourself up for success. 
and you will fail before you even think about starting. It probably won't be like the good kind of failure where you fail forward and where you learn something unless you're really able to kind of get out of that forest through the trees or, you know, see where things went wrong, any of those things. You know, it's it's a tough thing to do when you're in it, right? And when you're in the machine and you're just like going, 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 um, you don't always think that you're going down 10 different paths, but your time and your brain power gets split a bunch of different ways and nothing really gets accomplished. So I think it's a tough one to learn, but once you figure it out, figure out how to divide your time, it makes sense from there. So I think that through this kind of story and navigating through this, like I really learned personally how to better navigate change. Like I think when I was younger, I wasn't very good at change. I don't think anyone is when they're younger. Um, I think kind of starting over gives you this new perspective, but with more knowledge behind you so you can at least have a chance right? To not make the same mistakes that you've made before and do it over and over and over again. Um, I really think that I learned that my drive now comes from a place that incorporates my variables instead of the variables kind of working against me. So, you know, that burning candle to both ends, it's okay if you understand how to prioritize and manage your time, as well as understanding like your primary, secondary, and tertiary goals. If you can do that, and you can somehow get it out, whether it's like cell sheets or whiteboards or whatever, any of those things, you can make that happen and you are just golden. You're just going to soar. It's going to be awesome. I think lastly, I learned that sometimes to be happy, you really just need to get out of your own way. And that's it. So here's a few questions for you. What did you learn from this? What did you learn from the story? What's your takeaway? You know, what makes you happy? What do you do and why do you do it? That's always a big question. What do you do and why do you do it? Shoot me your answers at hustlethemost.com. And as always, thank you for listening, checking out the Hustle the Most podcast. Sorry, it's taking us a while to get back. We're back on track now. Check out next week, episode 19 coming out. It's going to be awesome. Check out more stories, photos, and connect with me at hustlethemost.com. If you're listening to this on iTunes, which I know a lot of you are, click the subscribe button, give us a like, give us a share. If you're feeling super inspired, want to write some words, write us a review, tell us what you think of the show really helps people find the show that maybe wouldn't stumble upon the show on their own. So I really appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next one.